And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, my intention for today was to answer some of the questions I've been asked over the last several months. I try to get answers out to people on email as often and as frequently as I can, but occasionally I like to bring some of those questions back into a podcast to help anyone else do their Disney planning. But what I found interesting was there was a lot of questions about FastPass Plus, My Magic, the My Disney Experience, the whole thing about the whole FastPass Plus or the next generation that Disney has been working on for the last couple of years. So I thought I'd devote a whole podcast to talking about how it works, sort of some of the experiences, the goods, the bads, and kind of the history on how we got here. So let's start off with the history piece. For anyone who's been going to the Walt Disney World Resort for any length of time knows Back in the early days of the resort, probably from when it opened until the mid to late 1980s, there was nothing to help you with queuing. You would go around the park and you would pick attractions you wanted to go to based on the queue length and and deciding how long the line was. So you would walk up to it and go, well, that line looks like it's a good length. I think I'll wait in it and I don't mind waiting the 30 or 45 minutes that it looks like it is. Now, as a seasoned veteran, you learned some of the little tips and tricks and some of the things you could do. For example, if you went during parade time, the queue was generally shorter. If you went shortly after the uh, younger kids started going home, you could find shorter queues that way. You might also take the park in a different direction than the general crowd does. Most people, when they entered the Magic Kingdom, for example, went around to the right and went toward Tomorrowland. If you came in and went toward the left, toward, uh, say, the Jungle Cruise and the Pirates of the Caribbean, you could have shorter wait times on that part of the park, and then you'd meet up with the crowd somewhere in the middle. And then you could manage the other part of the park as you went along. So you learned little tricks and little things to make it better. Now, as you also may have realized from listening to some of my podcasts, there was always this challenge of, even though there was only the Magic Kingdom for the first 11 years that the Walt Disney World Resort was open, you could spend a couple of days at the Magic Kingdom and still maybe not see every attraction. And the reason was because of this whole queuing thing. You might wind up waiting in line for something and might not have time to go do something else. Now, you might want to see a couple of things more than once, but the lines made it such that sometimes you had to, like, miss something and skip it and come back and see it later. That's just the way things worked. Now, none of the lines or the queues were all that interesting. I mean, there were some that were better than others, but most of them were kind of boring. You'd stand in line and you'd just be in line. Now, they did some theming and some things to make them a little bit more compelling, so it wasn't just standing in a line, but generally speaking, you were just kind of kind of waiting around. And I remember specifically the Peter Pan line uh, that recently changed was one of the ones that was one of the more boring ones. You'd wait in that line for, you know, 60 minutes or whatever, and there was really nothing to do, nothing to look at. You would just be standing there talking to maybe your family. And then in the mid to late 1990s, there was a change that was made. And this was to allow for more feedback on what the wait times actually were. 
So what Disney did was install some little timers on either end of the attraction. So at the entry point and then at the point when you got on the ride, they had a little timer there, and they'd give you a little card that would, that would start the timer. And then at the end, they would uh, swipe the card again, and that would get the end timer. So that way they could actually say, it would come back and it would say, okay, that person waited in line for, say, 30 minutes. Then they would go outside and they would turn a little mechanical dial to say how long the wait time was. So it was a little bit better, so instead of just looking at the queue, you could kind of conclude that the wait time says it's 30 minutes, and you could kind of go after the attraction and decide what you wanted to go on based on the wait time. So it did get a little better. In the mid to late 1990s, they made another change, and this change was a little bit more significant. This was where they installed the FastPass system. Now, the FastPass system was a computer-based system that allowed you to get a ride time for a later time in the day. So it was essentially standing in line for you. So let's say you walked up to the Buzz Lightyear attraction, and you noticed the wait time at the Buzz Lightyear attraction was 45 minutes. So you could stand there and say, okay, so let's see if we can get a fast pass for it. So you'd walk over to the machines that were sitting by the queue, and you'd put in your park ticket, and your park ticket would spit back out a return time for you to come back and ride the attraction. Now the return times were generally an hour, and they were also posted above the uh, fast pass machines, so that way you could see, get a sense of what time is it going to tell me that I can come back. Now it would vary throughout the day, it would keep moving up, so it would start as, now if the park opened at 9, the first fast pass it gave out may have been 9.30. And as the day went on, it would go 10, 10.30, 11, da 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 until the park closed. So there were times in certain attractions where the fast passes would run out early in the day because everyone wanted to ride that attraction. Now one example of that would be the Toy Story Midway Mania. What would happen is those fast passes would run out by about 10.30 in the morning, they'd all be gone for the day. Now the thing about the fast passes was that once you reached a certain window of about 30 minutes before your actual ride time, you could get another fast pass. So you really only had one in your hand at any given time. So you'd walk up to a kiosk and you'd make a determination, do I want to ride this now or get a fast pass for it? And you might look at it and say, okay, the fast pass is for 1 o'clock and it's currently 10, so I'll go stand in a queue over there until, you know, 10.30 and ride, a, ride the attraction at some other thing. And then I'll go do something else at, uh, until 11, and then something else until 11.30. And then at some point, the window opens to get another fast pass. So I'll go get another fast pass and have, you know, essentially have two in my hand, one that I'm going to use right now and one that I'm going to use in a little while. Now, the whole strategy of how you'd go around the park changed at that point because you'd decide on things that you might want to do. Sometimes you'd get a fast pass for something that was on the other side of the park. Sometimes you'd get a fast pass for something that was in another, that was nearby in the, where you were in the park. And sometimes it would be in a different park. So what happened was that the seasoned veterans would make decisions about some of the things that they wanted to do. What you would find is a lot of people would go in and they'd make a decision to go over to Toy Story Midway Mania early in the day, like when the rope dropped, and they'd get a fast pass for it and they'd have a return time. Now that return time may not be until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So what they would do is actually leave the park, go to another park, and then come back at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and ride Toy Story. Now, there were other strategies that people employed, like riding Toy Story right away, right then, because the queue was fairly short. Maybe you'd you know, wait 15 or 20 minutes to ride the, ride the uh, attraction early in the day, and you'd have your fast pass for 4 o'clock, and you'd leave and you'd come back. So you were really tipping the scales and uh, changing the balance of power to people who were seasoned vets being able to get the fast passes. So let's say you were someone who was staying at a resort hotel, maybe at the Grand Floridian or something, and you wanted to ride Toy Story Midway Mania. You might get there at the park at 
10 o'clock, let's say, you start to go in, you do some other things, you make a decision. Maybe I'm going to go see Playhouse Disney, or I'm going to go see the uh, Voyage of the Little Mermaid or something else. And then you wander over to the Toy Story Midway Mania attraction at, say, around 10.30 or so. Well, you notice the wait time is 120 minutes, and there are no more fast passes available. So now you're stuck with what to do. How do I manage this? Maybe it's the only day I'm going into the uh, studios, and I have to decide how I want to manage that. So it became a problem for Disney in that the seasoned veterans and people who really knew the system were taking advantage of it and taking all the fast pass times. That's not to say that other people didn't get the fast passes, but it kind of changed things a little bit and didn't make the experience quite what Disney wanted. There was also the compounding factor that Disney had hoped that if you weren't waiting in line for the whole time, so essentially they took you out of the queue for the 90 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever the wait time may have been, that maybe your spend would be greater because you might buy a couple of other souvenirs or merchandise or something else. And it didn't really work out that way. Their bottom line wasn't impacted positively the way they wanted it to be. So I think they realized that there needed to be a change to the whole system, and it needed to be better anyway. The guest experience is always paramount. So Disney decided that they would take it to another level, and they came up with this idea of next-gen technology. So this whole next generation was a means to change the guest experience throughout their entire stay at the Walt Disney World Resort. So first things first, what Disney changed was the admission media. For the longest time, it was these paper tickets. Now, before that, it was the little coupon books with the different uh, tickets that you would go for each attraction. After that, it became paper tickets that you would get for the whole day, and you would just basically swipe your ticket and get in the park, and then you'd be able to use that to get fast passes and so forth. Then they moved to plastic media, which made more sense. And now they've moved to something that's a combination of plastic media and the wristband. So the wristband is called the magic band. And that magic band is really, just think about it this way, it's really your theme park admission. That's what it's all about. Um, instead of having a plastic card, you have this wristband that you put on. Now, if you don't like the wristband and it's uncomfortable, you can get a plastic card. You can request one instead. But the one thing you can't do is you can't get away from the fingerprint. What Disney wanted to do was be able to control admission into the parks. Resale of tickets has always been a problem for Disney. They've always had issues with uh, people reselling tickets. And it says right on it that it's non-transferable, but people found ways to transfer them and sell them to ticket brokers and so forth. Disney wants to control their own media, so one of the ways to do that is to require that there's a fingerprint scan so that they know it's you coming into the park. So at some point, they started experimenting with the idea of a fingerprint scan. Whether it's actually a fingerprint scan or a biometric scan and just looks at a couple of points on your finger is debatable. But the reality is what they're looking at is something about you to identify who you are so that you're the only one using that media. So you have a theme park ticket and you're the one who's using it. So you have to always do a fingerprint scan. There is no other way. For a short period of time, they've thought about allowing people to show an ID in addition to the media, but then they realized that that really wasn't what they wanted. Now remember that Disney is also in the big data business. They want to know about all their guests. They want to know what you're doing. They want to know what your habits are, whatever. So by collecting more information about you, they've got something. And it's just one piece of biometric data, but it's one more thing that they have about you. Don't know what they do with it. Don't know that they do anything with it, but it's one more piece of information that they have about you. Now, the Magic Bands themselves, in addition to being theme park media, they also have what's called a radio frequency identifier inside it. Now, they have two kinds of radio frequency identifiers. One is the short range, that's the localized thing. That allows you to do the admission, where you uh, tap your wristband against the little Mickey thing, and it swirls around and lets you in the park. And it also lets you go into the attractions that, you that you're coming back to with FastPass Plus. And I'll, and I'll come back to FastPass Plus in a minute, don't worry. 
but the thing is that it has this uh, short-range RFID tag in it, and that would be known as a passive RFID. But it also has in it an active RFID, and what that allows Disney to do is track everyone's movement throughout the park. Now, I don't believe for even a second that Disney is interested in a single individual. They want the aggregate. They want to know what people are doing. They want to know what their patterns are. They want to know what the crowd is doing in the parks. They want to know which direction they're going. They want to know where there's larger crowds and smaller crowds and so forth. You may have heard on my last podcast that they're starting to do some other things with bus routes and bus timings. With this active RFID, they can tell how many people are queued up at a particular bus stop and can send an additional bus if they need to. So there's some very positive things that come out of this. So think about it from that perspective on the positive side, and don't think about it as Big Brother. Like I said, I don't think they're in it to look at any individual. They just want to know generally where people are and where they're going around the park. Now, it does provide Disney with one additional level of security as well, because if they start seeing people disappear backstage, then they know they have a problem and they can send security after them. So that's something else to consider, but at least they know about it rather than having somebody wander into a backstage area and no one knows. So it's a positive thing from that perspective as well. In addition to that, the Magic Band also serves as your hotel room key. They just basically code it on your, on your band so that you walk up to the door and you tap the door and the door unlocks. So it's coded just to you and, and then when you check out of the hotel, it just basically resets it. Much as the plastic keys did in, well, I guess you'd call it the old days even though it was only like, so, 2014. But that's the way it would work. There is one other thing that Disney is doing with the, with the Magic Bands, and that's to allow you to tie it to a credit card. So that way it becomes a mobile payment device. You can walk up to a payment kiosk anywhere in the Walt Disney World Resort and tap your Magic Band against this little sensor, and the sensor will then prompt you for a pin, so that way there's a little bit of security around it, and you'll do your charging right there. And then on the back end, they submit a charge to your credit card, so you're all set. It makes it very easy and very convenient. Now, an interesting side note here. Disney holds the patent on the way the Magic Band works, the way the active and passive RFIDs work, and the fact that you can do payments through the Magic Band. So there's an interesting twist here that several credit issuers are trying to get into this marketplace, and I believe that Disney is kind of behind the scenes licensing this technology to some of these banks. Now, I have heard about a Bank of Australia that's currently piloting some of the technology in a similar way where you could use your wristband to pay for products instead of carrying around a charge card. And Barclays Bank in the UK is also doing a similar thing. So I think there's some interesting synergy that Disney gets in this sense, where they get a little bit of something in return for having created a really cool piece of technology. So there's something really neat about this that, that uh, goes on behind the scenes. It's not just about this magic band, it's about the bigger picture and something that Disney is doing where they've taken the marketplace to a whole new level and, as they do in other places, become a leader in the marketplace. In a marketplace that I don't think they ever intended to go into in the first place, but I think they found themselves there with a great opportunity when they started thinking about next generation technology. So that's the Magic Band. And the Magic Band itself is pretty cool. It's a nice little, it's just a piece of plastic, basically. It feels no different than a wristwatch. For those of us, like myself, who don't wear a wristwatch, it's a little bit uncomfortable because you kind of have to get used to having something on your arm. But it's not the end of the world, and it's really not that bad. And as I said, if you prefer, you could carry the plastic with you instead and pull out your plastic card. And I've tried both, and I'm on the fence about which one I like better because the convenience of having the wristband can't be beat, but the plastic card makes my wrist feel better. So it's kind of a trade-off, but I have to reach into my pocket and take it out. So, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a tough call which one I like better. Now, before I go to FastPass Plus, let me talk a little bit about the wristbands themselves. So if you're 
booking a Disney vacation and you're staying on Disney property and you do the whole vacation package, they will include a wristband for each member of your family that's staying on the package. So if you have two adults and two children staying in the room, they will send you four wristbands. You have the opportunity to customize these wristbands. There's some stock styles that they come up with, different colors and so forth, that they will give you. And then they have some additional enhancements, other styles that they will give you for a small incremental fee. So there's some things that they do to try and make it a little more personal. They also monogram each one with your name. And likewise, if you're a pass holder, you also get the magic band and you get a choice of your colors or you can upgrade to something else if you want to. And they mail it to you. Now, if you're going on a vacation and you booked your vacation through Disney, they will mail it out approximately 60 to 90 days before you go on your, on your trip. And it's packed up really nicely. It's a great little box and it's really kind of, it has a certain magic to it when you go to open it. It's kind of neat because you open it up and it has a, ooh, a wow factor to it. And I'll put some of the pictures of when I opened mine last year. It really is kind of neat. It has a certain wow factor to it. And it's all, you know, very nicely done and it's well packaged and it makes you feel like you're going on vacation. And that's part of what Disney is trying to do here, to build on the hype, to build the experience before you even go. Look, Disney is about the bottom line. Let's make no mistake about it. They are in the entertainment business, and they are trying to make you happy. But at the bottom line, if you're more excited about your trip and you start to plan it and you think about it, there's more opportunities for you to have a happy experience and spend more. So at the, at the end of the day, Disney is thinking about it from that perspective. It's a win-win, win-win-win-win-win all the way around that everybody gets something out of it. Uh, Disney gets something great because they get a little bit more, potentially a little bit more money out of each guest. And you get a win because you get a really nice experience and something, something pretty exciting. Now, supposing you're a day guest. So that is someone who doesn't have a vacation package planned, someone who's not staying on property, someone who's not a pass holder. Any of those combination of things where you're just coming in for the day, maybe you bought a multi-day pass, but you're coming in for essentially a day. You can buy a Magic Band. I think the retail price is like $12.95 for the basic bands and a little bit more for some of the other more complex bands. But you can buy one through Disney and you can uh, attach it to your card. So it's kind of cool. If you want one, you can get one and you can actually use it in the parks. So it is kind of cool because you can have the Magic Band even if you're just coming into the park for the day. Now the Magic Bands, as I understand it, can be purchased at Disney stores. I think they can be purchased online and they can also be purchased... Uh, at any of the resort hotels and any of the theme park properties at the Walt Disney World Resort. So there's an easy access to them if you want one. But you can still go in with your plastic card if you want to. The Magic Bands themselves, they're adjustable. They have little uh, clips on the back that allow you to adjust the size. It's kind of like uh, you know a one-size-fits-all watch. It has little pins on it and little holes, so you can adjust the watch size just a little bit to make it fit. It's made of a PVC-like material, so it's kind of a plasticky thing. Some people have reported that they have allergies to it, and some people don't. Some people like to leave them really tight on their wrists. Some people like to leave them loose. It really is up to you how you want to do it. They do go fairly small, so they will fit most children. And they don't come off that easily. You have to kind of pull at it a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean that children can't or won't pull them off or lose them, but it's unlikely, it's more likely that they'll stay on if you put them on there. The option as a parent you have is to go ahead and put it on your wrist as well as the other one or to put it in your pocket or do something else with it, maybe attach it to a backpack or a stroller or something so that you have it with you and then you can easily just slip it back on your child's arm when you're going into an attraction so they can have the fun of tapping Mickey to, to make it light up. Now Disney has gotten big into the customization of the bands. They have special covers that you can put on them, special, uh, I guess, you know, it would be like the gibbets on the old Crocs, right? Things that you can do to uh, make them a little bit more uh, interesting. They have sliders you can attach, little things you can hang off of them. You know, if you look around a little bit, you'll find all kinds of Disney-related merchandise 
and some aftermarket things where they have sold some things that, that make these more interesting. Now, because this is made of plastic, because it's well protected, even though there's a battery in it for the active RFID, you can get it wet. You can shower in it. You can swim in the pool. You can go on the Cali River Rapids. You could go on anything you want. You could go over to the, any of the water parks and go on any slide or anything else you want to do. Doesn't matter. They can get wet. And as I said, they, they're pretty durable and they stand up pretty well to uh, being pulled at a little bit. So I don't think you'll have any issues. Now, Disney's pretty good about if you happen to lose it, something happens to it, they will replace it. I don't know if there's a cost associated with it, but they do help you out if uh, something happens to it, especially if it breaks. If something happens and it breaks or it stops working, they will replace it. And as I mentioned before, there's the fingerprint that's required to get into the theme park, and there's the pin that you have to put in in order to make charges. So if you do lose it, there's no reason to fret. It's not No one else can really use it. So they might find it and they go, hey, cool, a magic band, and they'll probably turn it into Lost and Found if they find it on Disney property because they know there's nothing they can do with it. Now, one other thing about the magic bands. The Magic Bands are reusable for multiple trips. So as an annual pass holder, they sent me one, and I've had it now for almost two years, and I'm using it. So the battery life is good, and it's continued to work for this long. I don't know how long it's going to last for, but I'm going to continue to use it until the battery wears down. Now, it's possible they may send me another one when I do my next renewal, realizing that the battery may wear down. They may just replace it at some point. But I believe that if the battery did wear down, I could go and talk to them, and they'd replace it for me. Because the whole idea is to make the experience magical and make it all work. So they want to make sure that they're giving me a product that's, that's going to be uh, suitable. So you can reuse your magic bands. Now the other thing is, let's suppose you booked a vacation here in January and you got your vacation coming up in uh, March or so. And you go on your vacation and you had your magic bands. And then you want to go back for the holidays in December, so you book another trip. Guess what? Disney will send you another set of magic bands. Now you have two sets. You can go online and you can attach your old bands to your new reservation so that you can still use your old bands if you want to. I believe there's a way that they let you use both if you want to because they're all yours and they're yours to use as you want to. So you could really use them any way you feel that you want to. So you could wear one one day and one the next day if you wanted to. Or keep one as a backup. I know some people like to think about it in those terms and like to have a backup just in case. Then you could keep the backup in your suitcase just in case something happens. So that's really the magic bands and what the magic bands are. So that's the plastic band that you see people walking around with at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. Now the second part to this is about FastPass Plus. As I mentioned earlier, the FastPass machines were located throughout the park at each attraction. Now one additional enhancement they made just before they rolled out FastPass was that they added these kiosks at centrally located points in each one of the parks that told you for the major attractions what time the wait time was. By now, it was all computerized, and they were able to bring back data from each one of these attractions instead of being a manual dial that someone would set. They'd have the wait times for each one of the attractions, and they'd also have the fast pass return times listed at the attractions, too. So that way, you could make a determination from a central location which way you were going to go and what you wanted to ride and what fast passes you wanted to take. It made life a little bit easier and kind of worked toward the direction of better queuing. Now, taking it a step further, there are several people out there, like Len Testa and his group, that did the Touring Plans website. Now, Len did this really dramatic thing where he was looking at queuing theory and figured out how to best optimize the trip through Disney to make the most use of your time. He basically did what we as seasoned veterans do in our heads and put it out on a computer simulation so that you can go and you can actually take advantage of it and act like a seasoned vet when you go in and you can take advantage of every attraction. Very clever stuff, and it took it a lot further and was able to use some of the modeling and the computer simulations 
based on the wait times and the standard return times, because now that was all posted and you know exactly how long things were going to be and so on and so on, you could really take advantage of it and know when to come back to an attraction and know what the right uh, wait times were. And it's really just based on the fact that there's crowd patterns and there's patterns in the park and there's days of the week and certain days of the year that are more uh, crowded or less crowded. And you could really take advantage of that and make a really good system to help people guide them through the park. And he continues to evolve the model now that FastPass Plus is here. So FastPass Plus, it took it to a different level. It's essentially the FastPass, but kind of, you might think about it on steroids. So here's what they did. They said, instead of walking up to a kiosk and putting your theme park admission ticket into a machine and getting a piece of paper back that says a return time, you do it on a computer now. So essentially what you're saying is, I want to book a return time to this attraction. What do you have available? Now, it's a little more flexible. Instead of the system always going 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, the system picks a return time based on a number of variables that it looks into. What time of day is it? What time of year is it? What other things are you doing? And so on and so on and so on. It looks at all these variables, how crowded is the park, and it makes a decision about what the best return time is. Rather than being totally linear and just going from 9 to 10 to 11, it makes a determination, oh, here's a time that's available at 2. Let's grab that one. Oh, you wanted to do this also? Here, let's grab this other time. So those things combined really make for, uh, in some ways, an easier process to getting your fast passes. Now the challenge here is that if you're staying on Disney property and you booked your vacation, 60 days in advance, you can go and you can book your fast pass pluses online. So two months before you take your Disney vacation, you're planning up what attractions you want to see. Now the rules around it are this, that you can book no more than three fast pass pluses in a single day, and you can only book them in one park. So essentially what they're saying is the Toy Story Midway Mania model where you would go over and you could get the fast pass for the Toy Story ride and then leave the park and then come back later, you know, and meanwhile be doing something else in another park, that essentially went away. In a way. So that you could, you could now book, maybe I want to book the Toy Story Midway Mania ride and I want to do it for one of the three days that I'm in the parks, but I'm going to look for the optimal time that's available. And it, as I say, it levels the playing field and makes it so that people who are day guests or people who are on a vacation have the same advantages or perhaps more than people who are annual pass holders. Now, everyone else besides people who are doing a vacation at Disney World can book their fast passes 30 days in advance. So the people that are doing the vacation have a little bit more advantage because they can book them in advance. So the trick of doing it only three per park per day kind of is a little bit limiting and a little daunting. And I, people complained about it at first, and I got the complaints, but now I'm thinking back on it, and I'm realizing, you know what? Way back when, when there was no fast pass or anything, you had to go and pick the attractions based on what you saw. So here they're saying, we're going to give you three attractions that you can go and ride, and you know that, you have to, you know that you're going to be able to ride those regardless, as long as you go into that park that day. So you're booking them in advance, and you're figuring out where you want to go and what you want to do. So it does work in that sense, where you can go and you can book your attractions and what you want to see for a particular day. Now, I'm on the fence about whether booking something two months before you go is a good thing or a bad thing, but back to that bottom line question, by building the excitement and the hype, they're really getting you excited about the trip. So Disney gives you that opportunity to book up to the three Fast Passes in advance. Now, so far, at this point in time, they haven't linked the advanced dining reservations to the whole FastPass Plus. They're working on it, and there's some things that they do, and they test things once in a while where it's sort of a FastPass Plus sort of thing where it's dining, but they haven't linked it all together yet. The other thing is they're adding some new experiences. So some of the shows 
and some special viewing locations for parades and fireworks will be included in that three Fast Pass Pluses that you can make. So over in the studios, the three you might book are Toy Story Midway Mania, perhaps uh, the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, and the Fantasmic. Those might be the three that you choose to, to use. So in that case, I booked a ride, a show, and a fireworks uh, extravaganza. So I've set up all three different things in one day. Now you've got to imagine that at some point they all kind of come together, and it becomes a little bit more seamless at some point. It's generally speaking, it's pretty good, but it's a little kludgy. Now the other thing is, you can change your fast passes at any time. So you can change them before you go or after you get there. So the way to change them is to actually, if you're going before you go, you can certainly change them on your computer. Or you can change them on the My Disney Experience app that you could put on your mobile device. Or you can go to a kiosk while you're actually in the park and go and change them. Now there's kiosks located throughout the park, so all you have to do is ask a cast member where they are. And they have these kiosks, and usually the cast members will help you kind of work through the system to figure out how to change your fast passes. So as you go through there, you can uh, actually make changes to it on the fly. The other thing is, once you've used your third Fast Pass Plus for the day, you can book another one. And it could be at a different park. So you can say, okay, I've used, I booked three Fast Pass Pluses in the Magic Kingdom in the morning. I want to see if there's anything available at Epcot in the afternoon. And you can do that and then go over to Epcot and, and use that one up and then book another one and whatever. So you have the option of actually adding additional experiences after you've used the three that you had for the day. So there is a way kind of around the system. It's a little bit better that way. The caveat is, if you want to add an additional experience, you have to do it at a kiosk. They've been testing on and off, doing it on the app or doing it online, and I actually was able to test doing it on, on the app when I was there back in November, and it actually was pretty easy and it worked. But as I understand it, they've turned that feature off again, and now you have to go back to a kiosk. Now, sometimes it's a little bit of a wait for the kiosk, so you have to kind of plan for that a little bit, too. And I have to, I have to say, the system itself is a little bit clunky. There are times when you're trying to book your fast passes where you're going through and you say, okay, I want to go to the Magic Kingdom this day, and here's the three fast passes I want. So you select the three uh, attractions, ride shows, whatever you're interested in, and you, you get them, and sometimes it'll say, sorry, this isn't available, here's an alternative, here's this time for this one and that time for that one. And I actually got this tip from a cast member who works with the Fast Pass Plus, that basically what you could do is you go ahead and you pick like one attraction that you really want to do. So you go ahead and you select like the one attraction you really want to do, and then select two other random things, doesn't matter what they are. And then go ahead and make that your selection. Then you go back and you change one of the things that you weren't really interested in, and try to pick another thing that you really want to do. And the system will say, okay, you already have these two other things, let's see if we can find you a time in there. And you can continue to do that, and do that to the third one as well, and then you can uh, try to change the time on each of them. And you can manipulate the system to a large degree to get something closer to what you want. You'll also find that because people come and go and make decisions to change their fast passes, that sometimes things open up that you didn't see before. So you'll look at it and you go, oh, you know, this fast pass uh, for the uh, Dwarves Mine, Seven Dwarves Mine Train wasn't available a couple of minutes ago, but suddenly it is because someone has changed their fast pass reservation and that one just became available at a time that works for you. So sometimes playing with the system and logging out and logging back in, coming back the next day can work to your advantage. And as I say, kind of manipulating the system a little bit by taking attractions that you may not want and then removing those later or changing the times can work to your advantage too. The other tip I'd give you is if you've got a larger party, a party of two is usually pretty easy to work with. A party of four is kind of on the borderline of uh, being easy to work with. Anything greater than that, it's really hard because it's hard to get multiple Fast Pass Plus reservation times for 
uh, multiple people at the same time. So what you can do is break your group up into groups of two or three. So you go, oh, so it's maybe you have a party of five. And you say, okay, the two people are going to see if they can get the um, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train for 10 o'clock in the morning. And sure enough, maybe they get from 10 to 11. And then you go and you find the other three people. You take them through the system and you go through and you book them for the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. They might be able to find a time that's slightly different but still in the same window. So maybe theirs is from 10.15 to 11.15 or 10.30 to 11.30. In either case, it works out so that at 10.30 you can walk over to the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train and all five of you can ride. So sometimes you kind of have to manipulate it a little bit to make that work. The other thing is you have to decide what you want a Fast Pass Plus for based on the fact that you want to see certain things. Since I don't ride roller coasters, Fast Pass Plus is a little bit lost on me because the things you really want to get the Fast Pass Plus for are the roller coasters, the, the attractions that really book up. You know, the Expedition Everest, the uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, the uh, Big Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain, those types of things where there's a true attraction there where it's a roller coaster and the lines always build. And my general point here is that you need to be aware of what the Fast Passes are and whether you really need it or not. The thing about it is, is it changes the queuing a little bit. So it used to be, like say the Haunted Mansion for example, the Haunted Mansion has a Fast Pass Plus line. In the Fast Pass Plus line you basically bypass the crypt on the outside and you go right into the attraction. And that's great, but it's kind of fun to see the crypt. But when it says it's a 30 minute wait, it actually is a 30 minute wait because they're making sure that the people who have the Fast Pass Pluses get in right away and they're making you wait just a little bit longer. So it does change the queuing a little bit. For some periods of time while they've been working on it, sometimes the Fast Pass Plus line was longer than the standby line because they gave out too many Fast Pass Pluses. But as they continue to tweak the system, it's gotten much better and you don't see the Fast Pass Plus line extending out as much. And I think over time it will balance out and the standby queues will get a little better as well. So you have to be aware of it, knowing that if you don't ride roller coasters, there's certain attractions that make more sense than other attractions that you might want to get. So just consider what the attraction is, look it up online, or ask a friend. Ask me. Happy to help you uh, understand which ones are the, the best ones to get the Fast Passes for based on your, your, what you're interested in. So you book the uh, Fast Pass Plus online, you, uh, you set it all up, you make sure you're there, and you get everything ready the way you want it. Then when you go to the uh, attraction, all you have to do is walk up to the attraction. There's a little mouse head on a stand, and you just basically tap your magic band around it. It'll go around for a second, it'll turn green, the cast member will say go on in, and then at the end of the queue, where you would normally have handed in your Fast Pass paper tickets before, there'll be another one, and you just tap it there, and they'll let you right in. So that's the way the Fast Pass Plus system works. It's actually fairly efficient and a little bit better than FastPass in many ways, and now that they're kind of tweaking it and building on it, it's gotten even better. Uh, it's gotten to a point where I'm actually thinking, you know, this isn't half bad. That's why the title of this podcast, How I Stopped Worrying and Learned to Love FastPass. So it really does work out pretty well, and as they continue to add more features, benefits, and other things, you know, at some point, they'll start to figure out if somebody's, they, they can offer an additional FastPass to somebody if some queue is smaller and they want to get people over to the other part of the park, they can offer Fast Passes to that. They've also tested out having Fast Pass Plus for the standby line. So basically, you walk up to it and you say, okay, I see the, I didn't get a Fast Pass Plus for this particular attraction. And the standby line, you know, maybe 60 minutes, but what, they, what they've tested out is giving you, instead of giving you an actual, uh, instead of having you stand in the line for the 60 minutes, they actually give you a, what amounts to a standby Fast Pass Plus, where you come back in 60 minutes and you move to the front of the line. 
So they're kind of working with the system a little bit to try and tweak it, make it a little better, make it a little more efficient. So you don't necessarily have to stand in the line for that period of time. Hey, we become a world of instant gratification. We need things right away. It's not about taking a moment and smelling the roses and enjoying the experience. It's about ride, 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 attraction, attraction, show, 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 I have to see everything. And that's where we've kind of gotten silly in some ways. We need to step back and think about it a little differently. But I appreciate that Disney is trying to do the right thing to give us a different experience and trying to morph us a little bit into something that, that works for them and also provides a better guest experience. That's the nature of my, the Magic Band, FastPass Plus, and the app itself is the, called the My Disney Experience app. And that's where you can put it on your phone and you can be able to manipulate things and you can check show times, ride times, uh, what, uh, what characters are out in different places, uh, where should I dine. All of those things that you would have seen in some of the other apps that people have created in the past are now in that app, and you can actually find a lot of information, but it's all from Disney, so it's all real-time information. So it's pretty cool, actually, and you can book your dining reservations in there as well. So it makes it pretty easy, and it, rem- it sends reminders, and it does things, and it works out pretty well, I think, that it's, uh, that it's that efficient. If you have a smartphone, now if you're not in the 21st century and you don't have a smartphone, what are you thinking? And if you don't have an iPhone, what are you thinking? I'm kidding, of course, being an iPhone developer. Speaking of, don't forget to check out my apps. There's some really cool features that are available to you if you have a smartphone. So you want to think about maybe having a smartphone before you go on your vacation because it really does make a difference. It makes the experience that much better. Now, one other question I've gotten a few times. Is FastPass Plus going to be coming to the other parks? And, of course, I don't know the answer, but my sense tells me, my my guess would be Disneyland will be the next park to get it. And then after that, it'll probably start going worldwide and they'll start rolling it out to other parks. Look, a good idea is a good idea, and Disney would rather have a good idea be experienced at all the parks. Now, if you're a Disneyland lover and you're listening to this podcast, you know, keep in mind that they have tested it out pretty thoroughly at this point before it goes to Disneyland. So hopefully that will make it better so it's not such a bad experience. I know a lot of people go, oh, I would hate that. I can't believe that they're doing that. And I said that too, believe me. But I've um, found that it's getting better uh, over time, and it is, it is definitely better than it was. And as much as I hate to admit it, I kind of like it right now. Yeah, I know it needs some work, and I know there's some other things that need to happen with it. But overall, I'm feeling like it's a pretty good system, and it actually does enhance on the experiences. As long as I don't overplan, it makes me happy. So that's what I think about it. So I hope that answered most of the questions people had about the, the whole experience, what the Magic Bands are, what they do, and everything that, that kind of goes on around it. As I say, it keeps getting better, and it keeps they keep refining it, and I think it's getting to a point where it's actually pretty good. So hopefully as they continue to roll it out and you experience it, you go, yeah, this isn't bad. It, it actually works for me. Well, that's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Show notes for this podcast can be found on disneyworldpodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a hidden Mickey's app, 
and a pin trading app.